Are we good? There we go. Okay, we're going to go ahead and uh, jump in uh, to the word this morning. And I want to start off by asking you guys, do you, do you ever let yourself get bored? I'll ask, I'll ask one more time. Do you ever let yourself get bored? Every day. <laughs> well, you have a lot more discipline than I have. Because I don't know about you, but what I often do, whenever I feel a, a, a hint of boredom in my life, right, the first place I go, man, I whip out that phone and the boredom is gone. There is always something for me to be entertained by or worried about or worked up, worked up because of when I pull out my phone. There's always something there uh, to bring me out of my boredom. Like, have you ever been, uh, like, maybe you're out with someone, like, getting a meal or coffee? The person is like, get up, go to the restroom. First thing you do, right? Pull out the phone. Uh, Thomas Edison said, okay, so this is about boredom, right? That boredom is the mother of all invention. Thomas Edison didn't say that, but it's true, okay? That boredom, everyone's like, yeah, that's a good point, right? That boredom, just trying to make sure everyone's awake this morning. Boredom does something to us. It, it sparks, it can spark curiosity in us. That when there's a quietness in our minds and in our hearts, that what starts to happen is that we start to notice what is going on around us. And if we're quiet, that if we're quiet and we pay attention to that noticing, it can spark curiosity in our minds and in our hearts, there's such a gift then of, of when someone leaves the table when you're, when you're having coffee or having dinner of just sitting there, right? And noticing what is happening around you at the restaurant. And that when that person comes back, what they find when they've rejoined the conversation is, is often what will happen is uh, someone who is ready to receive them with curiosity. That in that gap now there's been a question that's been birthed or unearthed or something around you that you want to talk about. Okay, I share all of that to say that the sermon series that we're in, right, is called Be Curious. And we're going through various stories of Jesus in the Gospels interacting with people. And if you've been around church for a long time, it's really easy uh, to, to hear these stories and uh, to kind of turn off. That they feel boring because you've heard them before. And what I want to challenge you with is that maybe you being bored by these stories is a gift. Because you being bored by them is an invitation uh, to become curious. That you would start to notice things in these stories that you haven't noticed before. That what we're doing here together on Sunday mornings, friends, this, isn't, this place is not about helping you not be bored. Because our God is so much more than a dopamine hit. We're not trying to get you out of your boredom. We're inviting you, however you're coming, bored or not, to be curious about the God who's gathered us together this morning. So I'm going to invite Alicia Harrison to come up. Alicia's going to read our passage for us this morning. It's out of Mark 2. So it's Mark 2, 1 through 12. It's the story of the man on the mat. Uh, this is how it might be titled in your Bibles. Uh, or how you've heard it kind of tagged before. And we're going to do this week what we did last week. Okay which is I'm going to ask you, after Alicia reads the passage, I'm going to ask you, what are you curious about from this passage? So we're not just taking curiosities about everything in the world, okay? It's curiosity. What are you curious about based on the passage that Alicia will have just read for us? Okay, you with me? Okay. 
And when he entered, uh, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, be warming our hearts with it this morning, that you'd be speaking to us about uh, the healing that we need in our own lives. And you'd be doing that healing work this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So what are you curious about from this passage? How did they get the paralytic through the roof? Yes. What else? Yeah, those are pretty good friends, right? Where do these friends come from that carry him on the mat? Yeah, what would it have been like to be paralyzed at that time? Yeah, what was Jesus teaching when they brought this man to them? Why were the people amazed? Why were the people amazed? Yes. Okay, can we get some from the back? I know that's what you've probably chosen to sit in the back because you, like, you don't like this part of the sermon, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Anybody from the back of the room, right? Questions that you have, curiosities. What was the roof made of? What was the roof made of? What is with this roof? Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't the crowd let him through? Okay, one more. Yeah, why were the scribes there? It's great. All kinds of questions. And um, I'm pretty convinced that we're actually going to do this every week, guys. I haven't totally committed to that in my, in my own mind, but just brace yourselves, okay? I think this is going to happen throughout the whole series. And the point is, as you're trying to stir up that you would be curious about this Jesus that we're encountering in the text every week, because this is the same Jesus that we're coming to worship this morning. And then what we see in our text this morning, we're going to be talking about three, uh, three perspectives on healing. Okay, we're going to talk about spiritual healing, we're going to talk about physical healing, and we're going to talk about what it means for us to be a community of healing. 
if we get there. We don't know if we'll get, I don't know if we'll get to the third point or not, but spiritual healing, physical healing, and then what it looks like for us to be a community of healing. So we've got to kind of set the scene here as we jump into talking about this idea of spiritual healing that we see in this passage. We've got all these people who are gathered around Jesus. They're packed into, house, into a house, right? And, and Jesus is there. He's teaching them, and, and there's, there's no room for anybody to kind of squeeze in. There's no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word of God to them, preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, which makes me think it was, it was, the crowd was even bigger than the four people carrying the paralytic that came bringing him. Like there was a whole group of people bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So these, so these friends are, are bringing, bringing this man who's paralyzed and, and they're trying to get him through to see Jesus because they believe if they can get him in front of Jesus, Jesus can heal him. But they can't get him in front of Jesus because it's so packed out. And so what they do, and this is kind of the way that the houses were in kind of ancient Palestine, it's just, it was a flat roof and that flat roof served as kind of a place to go to kind of cool off and there, you know, there might be a breeze that goes through and so uh, there, there were stairs that would go up to the roof because it was used kind of frequently. So they carry this man uh, up onto the roof and the roof was like a layers of, of like palm branches or, or, or uh, leaves that were then covered with, with dirt, like hard packed. So they would have been digging out the dirt and the leaves. So if you imagine Jesus is sitting inside and there's probably like dirt falling in front of him, right? And you, they could hear the people clomping around up there. So I don't know if Jesus is continuing to try to teach. If it's like our Christmas Eve service, you know, kids in the background screaming, crying, dirt falling through, whatever's happening. And finally, this man gets lowered down in front of Jesus. What a moment. All these people gathered around, eyes locked, wondering, what is going to happen next? And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. What? That's like the biggest, I kept thinking of a record scratch, right? Like just as, like what is happening here? I've never heard a record scratch, but I've heard that it can happen. Uh, this is a horrible sound, this jarring experience, right? And you gotta wonder, was the man on the mat, was he upset about this? Like I didn't come here to get my sins forgiven, right? I came here to, to be able to walk again. What about his friends? What is going on, Jesus? It's very obvious why we're here and it's very obvious that you are not doing the thing that we came here to get. Did it make him angry? I don't know. What we do know is that it made the scribes angry. They said, who is this, who is this guy who says that he can forgive sins? Because what, no, one, no one in that room was surprised by the idea that they were sinful. That was like well accepted for the people who were there in that day. And they even had a system for dealing with their sin. It was what happened, it was all the sacrifices that happened at the temple. But Jesus comes in and he says, I'm gonna forgive your sins? Which he's claiming that it, somehow the sins that are being forgiven were against him. 
what Jesus is doing is he's making himself equal with God in that situation, and the scribes are very upset by it. He's blaspheming, they say. Can I tell you, I, I think that this passage uh, is equally offensive to us. That it makes us angry just for different reasons. Because what's true about us in our late modern kind of Western mindset is that uh, we don't believe that we have sin that we need to be forgiven of. So for Jesus to come and say, hey, I'm here to forgive your sin, whoa, whoa, whoa. Says who? Who are you to call me a sinner? Okay, have you ever been have you ever been called by a creditor in your life? You don't have to raise your hand on this one. Okay, I will just tell you. In my life, I have been called by a creditor. It was a very scary experience. I had recently graduated from college, and I went to the doctor because I. For some reason, I had to go to the doctor. And uh, apparently, I got a bill from the doctor. What? I had never dealt with that before, right? Uh, and I'm like, well, I have insurance. I gave him my card. And somehow, the bill didn't get to me. So like a year later, someone was calling me very angry because my doctor bill had been given to a creditor. And they had collected interest and all these things. Terrifying thing. And it was, a, it was a relatively small bill. I thought, how much scarier would this be if I did not have the money to pay for this bill? And what if that creditor kept calling and calling and calling and calling? If the debt on that kept mounting, right? That's terrifying. It's one of those situations where you get the call and you recognize the number, but you ignore it, and then it goes to voicemail, and then you don't want to listen to the voicemail, but you still kind of want to read the transcription of the voicemail. You know what I'm talking about? So you're like, oh, do I read it? Do I not read it? Do I read it? Okay, I read it, because somehow that's better than hearing it, right? That, that's, that's terrifying. And that in a lot of ways, that's, uh, that's the reality of sin is that sin in our lives, uh, it creates debt. It creates debt with other people and it creates debt against God. And that what we experience as people is uh, guilt, right, shame because of our sin. It's like a creditor that keeps calling. And what we have decided to do as a culture is why don't we all just agree that the debt doesn't exist. And maybe that will help us deal with the angst that we feel from the phone call. That if we can all close our eyes collectively to this idea of sin, then maybe that will help us escape the guilt and the shame that sits so heavy on us because of the, because of the way our sin affects us and affects people in the world. Yet if we're being honest, that strategy doesn't work because the guilt and the shame still sit on us. We just don't have a reason to explain it anymore. Scripture would call that conviction, that we're all born with an innate knowledge of who God is and what it's like when we violate his laws. And over time, it is possible to get your conscience to the place where you, have to you can totally ignore guilt and shame. It's possible. 
And those people who have done that, whose consciences have been seared like that, are some of the most dangerous people in the world, aren't they? Where there's no capability of believing or feeling that you've wronged anybody else. No sense of your limitedness or your ability to harm. That's what shame is. And that is a dangerous person. And Jesus loves us. What he demonstrates in this passage is that Jesus loves us too much to go ahead and and play along with the fantasy that guilt and shame don't exist. That he loves us too much to pretend that sin is not a real thing. That what he's declaring in this passage is that he's come and he's come to do something about that sin. He's come to forgive it. Because what Jesus knows about us as people is that we have an an even deeper need than the need uh, to be healed from our circumstances. That we have a deeper need than than having our circumstances changed. Tim Keller, who's a pastor, uh, he says it like this. He says, please realize that the main problem in a person's life is never his suffering, it's his sin. Please realize that the main problem, the main problem in a person's life is never his suffering, it's his sin. There's a, uh, do you guys know who Rick Rubin, Rick Rubin is? Yes, okay, he's this legendary music producer. He's produced Johnny Cash, the Dixie Chicks, Red Hot Chili Peppers, all the way to Eminem and Adele, right? So he is this this legendary guy who has this huge span of credits and accolades to his name. And this is what he says about uh, kind of reflecting on what it's like to work with these high power names in the music industry. He says, it's hard to get really it's hard to get really depressed until your dreams come true. It's hard to get really depressed until your dreams come true. Once your dream comes true and you realize that you feel the same way as you did before, then you really get a feeling of hopelessness. Because you feel like I have this empty hole in me, but if I get to do this thing, this is gonna fill that hole and and you know one in a million get to do that thing and then you realize, oh, I feel exactly the same. Most worldly things tend to not be that satisfying. And and Rick is articulating kind of from the flip side of this perspective that uh, that as people, our, our biggest issue is not our circumstances, it's our sin. That there's something that is deep inside of us that no matter, even when all of our circumstances seem to be going right, there's still something inside of us that's broken, that's wrong. And Jesus knows this about us and because of his great love for us, he's saying, I have come to deal with that thing. That what he wants for us is joy and love and peace and that that's not possible until the root problem is, is dealt with. And so what he chooses to do here for this paralytic man lying in front of him is to address the root of this man's problem, which is sin. So what sin does is it kills. It brings death. In this life and in the next life. 
that, that your pride, that my pride, what it brings into our life is death. That pride kills our relationships. It kills intimacy, right? That's true about lies in our lives. That when we lie, it brings death to us and the people around us. It misshapes our world. And we could talk about that with, with all of the sins that we could commit, that what sin does is it brings death into our lives. Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. And what Jesus is saying here is that, that is what I have come to deal with. To forgive you and to heal you. That he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. And what he's doing is he's addressing this man's deepest need. And the invitation to come and have our sins forgiven is the same invitation that Jesus holds out to us. That in his great love for us, what he desires to do is to release us from the weight of sin, the weight of guilt and shame that sits so heavy on us because of our sin. That what he has done, if we go back to our debt collector analogy, right, is that he has paid the debt. That you are now released from the debt that your sin has incurred, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what he has done, that he's paid the debt for you. And he's paid it in full. And he's paid it for every sin that you have committed, every sin maybe that you are committing, right? And every sin that you will commit. Because when Jesus died, all of your sins were future sins. That what he's done is he has paid for all of them. He's lifted the weight of the guilt and the shame off of you. Is that good news? Yes, that is great news. It's, it's, yeah, that's great news. Your creditor has been paid. Your debt has been forgiven. That invitation, uh, that's for you. But if you don't, if you're here and you uh, don't know Jesus, that there's an invitation for you to come and to receive this forgiveness. And this is also incredibly relevant for people who have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Because so often what happens in the Christian life is that while our creditor uh, has been called off, while the debt has been forgiven, uh, the creditor still calls, doesn't he? Have you ever experienced that? that you pick up the phone and you see the number? You're like, oh yeah. That you're reminded of the sin that you've committed. That it hangs over you. That you think, man, if, if people really knew that all the sin that's in my life, it's not forgivable. Now, Jesus can forgive everybody else's sin, but the way I have sinned is too unique. It's too deep. It's too dark. It's too entrenched in my life. I've revisited it too frequently. I can't be forgiven. So that number, that number pops up and the sin and the shame, man, they sit so heavy on us. That we will even go back to reading the voicemails, the voicemail transcripts that sin and shame have left in our lives 
And we, we can believe that we are actually doing something good for God by re-engaging with all that sin and all that shame. Now we can believe that when we heap it on ourselves, we're doing something that God has asked us to do, that we're somehow being more spiritual by doing that. Friends, that is a lie, okay? That is not true. That when you are forgiven, all of those debts have been paid. You don't have to take those calls anymore. Don't go back and listen to the voicemail transcripts. Delete them. That's what we're called to, walking in the freedom of this total forgiveness that Jesus has offered us. And that, I will tell you, it is a process. It takes a lot of our lives to learn how to walk in that new freedom. Yes. Man, but that, that's a fight that's worth it because Jesus has purchased your freedom from you. You're forgiven. That spiritual healing is possible. But Jesus doesn't leave the man on the mat there. He also is engaged, he cares about he brings physical healing into his life. Which is easier? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. What Jesus does is he authenticates his authority to forgive sins by healing this man's infirm infirmity. Because anybody can say, your sins are forgiven, right? But how do we know? How can we really have hope in that promise? Jesus says, let me show you. Let me show you my authority to forgive sins, to, sh to show it, to illustrate it, to prove it to you. He, he heals this paralytic man. That's what he's saying to the people in the room. Let me show you I have this authority. And it's important to understand that when Jesus does this healing, he's not doing a magic trick, right? It's not some illusion. It's not even a violation of the natural created order. That what Jesus is doing when he performs this healing, miraculous work is that he is restoring creation to how it was supposed to be in the first place. He's not doing something unnatural. He's doing something that's profoundly natural by restoring the wholeness that God created that man for originally. And, and what we see in this passage is that Jesus' forgiveness of sins and Jesus' desire to see wholeness and healing in the world, they're the they come from the same desire. They're the same thing. One of the questions was, what was Jesus preaching when he was preaching the word? Well, we know what he was preaching because Mark 1, 15 tells us. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. That what Jesus was preaching to the people is the kingdom of God has come among you. 
that the healing of the world that's been promised has started and it's here and it's here now. And that healing has to do with sin. But what's true about sin is that it's not, it doesn't only have spiritual ramifications, it has physical ramifications. That all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the sickness in our world is a result of sin. That's what scripture would teach us. That it all springs from sin. And that in Jesus' desire to defeat sin, and to bring healing and wholeness, that has spiritual implications and it has physical implications. Because it all comes from the same root. And so what Jesus is showing us in bringing this man physical healing is that he's come not only to proclaim something that's spiritually true, but to, but to proclaim something that is gonna one day affect and cover the entire world. That what he is about is about bringing, ushering in a kingdom of peace and wholeness and healing. And it's a kingdom of the already and the not yet. That part of the kingdom is a, is a part of the kingdom that has, that has been ushered into the, it's broken into the world through the coming of Jesus. But it's a, it's a kingdom that has not fully come. Jesus promises us there's gonna be a day that it comes fully, but that day is not yet. And that is a hard tension to live in, isn't it? I don't know if you guys remember, uh, there's a guy, Kirk Atkinson, who spoke here several months ago. He's a pastor in North Nashville. Uh, And Kirk was mentored by Randy Duran, who was kind of our senior midtown pastor years, decades ago. Uh, And Kirk came to really love the good news of Jesus, that he could be forgiven. And he wanted to proclaim that. So he went to seminary, he came back, he planted a church in Colorado, he came and planted a church in Nashville. And ever since he uh, came to plant this church in Nashville, he has been a part of our weekly pastor meetings. So he would come on Tuesday mornings and where we talk about, hey, what is pastoring like and what are you struggling with and how are you doing? And Kirk was in all of that with us. Uh, really integrated into that community. He was even on a group, a group thread with us. So that tells you how good of friends we became with Kirk, right? And over the last several months, uh, Kirk invited us into his story of, well, it started with him coming to our pastor meeting and saying, hey, I have a, a lump on my neck that I'm concerned about, will you pray for me? Absolutely. And Kirk coming back and saying, I have a biopsy coming up, will you pray for me? And Kirk coming back and saying, I have cancer, will you pray for me? Will you pray that it's this kind of lymphoma, not that kind of lymphoma? Will you pray for me because I'm afraid? Will you pray for me because I have hope and I want to stay hopeful? Will you pray for me because uh, my lungs aren't working right and they don't know why? Will you pray for me because I have a blood infection and I'm afraid? And we had Kirk's funeral last Thursday. passed away a little over a week ago on last, last Saturday. So we had his funeral this, this last Thursday.
that that's what it's like to live in a world uh, where the kingdom is already and not yet. That what we desired was to see Kirk healed and that that did not happen in the way that we wanted to see it happen. But that what's true about Kirk uh, is that he is now healed. That he is participating in the wholeness that Jesus has promised because of the forgiveness in Jesus that he had received. And what is also true about Kirk right now is that Kirk is waiting for the same thing that you and I are waiting for. That Kirk, along with us, is waiting for the new heavens and the new earth to come. Because Kirk is waiting for his new resurrection body. Just like we are waiting for that new resurrection body. That Kirk is waiting with us to be in a world where sin and death have not only been defeated, but have been cast out. Because what Jesus promises us with this kingdom of God is that there is going to be a day where there is a new heavens and a new earth. And in that day, all sickness will be done away with. That all of our friends who are doctors will be out of a job in the new heavens and the new earth. Because we will have bodies, but those bodies won't need to be healed from anything anymore. That the promise of the new heavens and the new earth is that all of the clouds of depression that hang over us, that they will be blown away and they will never return. That the promise of the new heavens and the new earth is that there will never be a morning where you wake up with a tightness in your chest because of what you're afraid of encountering during the day. That there will never be a night where you go to bed with a tightness in your chest, worried about the tightness in your chest you're gonna wake up with in the morning. That the anxiety and the fear will be done away with. That in this new heavens and a new earth, there will be no more war, no more aggression. That there will be no, no weapons in this new heavens and new earth because there will be no need to defend ourselves. And that what Jesus is proclaiming here when he's healing and teaching and forgiving is that kingdom has come and that kingdom is coming. And the proof that we have for it the, the hope that we have for it is not only the sign of this man who is paralyzed being healed. The hope that we have for it, the sign that we have for it is the resurrection of our Lord. It's his resurrection body. That our bodies will be like his. And that, that, resurrection, of body of, that resurrection body of Jesus is a body that still bears in it the signs and the scars of his suffering on the cross. Now what's true here, even in Mark 2, we see shadows of the cross that's to come because it's Jesus' declaration that he alone can forgive sins that takes him to the cross. The same reaction that's happening in the hearts of the scribes, this man is blaspheming. That it's, it's that conflict that is gonna ultimately result in Jesus uh, being led to the cross. And what we see here in Mark 2, and this is so important, guys, is Jesus chose that. The scribes who, were, who said that Jesus was blaspheming, that was happening in their hearts, and he calls it out, and he declares, no, I'm gonna tell you who I am, knowing full well what it's gonna bring into his life. And that wasn't an accident. It was, it was, we did that willingly because of his great love for you. 
because his desire for you was for you to be forgiven. His desire for you was for you to be healed, for you to experience wholeness. That, that's how much he loved you. That's how much he loves you. And so as we live as people who have been forgiven, right, in the valley of the shadow of death, that we're also a people who have great hope that even when our, our suffering and our physical, and let me be clear, when I say that Jesus knows that our greatest problem is our sin and not our suffering, that is in no way meant to diminish the pain of your suffering because it is real and Jesus cares about it. And in the midst of it, what he's promised you is that there is healing for you now, but there is a healing that is coming that is more full than you could ever ask or imagine. It's coming. That we would live in this world as a people who are forgiven and a people who are hopeful. And that that would make us a community of healing. That this community would be a place that people can come and come and see Jesus, but also come and experience the healing that comes from being forgiven by Jesus. That that is what we are walking out and fleshing out together. Do you know that when you were a part of this community, uh, people in this room are are going to hurt you? It's true. If you have never been hurt by someone in this room, uh, that means you've not been a part of this community for very long. Or if you have, you've stayed on the outside. Uh, and I don't say that as a warning. I just say, let's just let's be honest about what, what being a part of a community looks like. Because we're people who are in the midst of being healed. But do you know that when people in this room hurt you, that there's actually, a, there's a gift hidden in there for you. Because when you get to draw toward that other person and know that they are on the same journey of being forgiven by Jesus, what you can know is that they are gonna engage you with forgiveness themselves. At least that's what we're called to. That we would be a community that, that forgives one another. And that in the process of being a forgiving community, that what we're working out is the forgiveness that we've been giving by Jesus. That what we get to experience in that is healing. I think about how dedicated this man's friends were to getting him in front of Jesus. We get to be that kind of community for each other that would say, no, I am passionate about getting you in front of Jesus. That when your faith feels uh, weak, that there are other people who want to carry you. And that we get to do that for each other. We get to do that as we listen to each other. And we get to do that as we pray for each other. In our prayers, we have direct access to the throne room of God that when you pray for somebody in this room, that what you are doing is you are carrying their mat and you are laying them before Jesus. They don't have to be physically present with you to do that, for you to do that for them. That's the work of being a community that we get invited into with each other all the time. And being a community that is seeking the healing of one another. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you and thank you for the good news that we are a people who have been forgiven. Oh Lord, if uh, I pray that you'd be calling us deeper into that this morning.
Lord, for those who are here who maybe have never tasted your forgiveness, Jesus, would you uh, open their eyes to receive what they what they're being offered in you? Uh, Lord, and for those who have received that forgiveness, Lord, would you call us deeper into it? Lord, would you uh, would you expose the places that we have come to nurture our guilt and our shame thinking that we are doing a service to you, Lord, and would you free us from that? And we pray that you would make us a people of hope. Uh, Lord, in a hard world, in a suffering world, Lord, in a world that, uh, that can feel hopeless. Jesus, would you remind us, would you press deep into our hearts the reality of, of, your, of your promise uh, that you have for us? of a day of living with you, seeing you face to face, fully knowing and experiencing the love that you have for us in a new heavens and a new earth. Lord, pray that you would make us into a community of healing, a place where we get to know and and live into more deeply what it means uh, to be forgiven by you, uh, to be loved by you in the way that we uh, care for each other. And pray that you would be drawing us deeper into that reality even as we worship you now. Amen.